gather this morning to Genesis chapter 43, page 36 in the Bibles that are found in the racks under the chairs in front of you, if you don't have your own copy of God's Word. Remembering that in Genesis 42, Jacob has said to his brother, or to his sons rather, that they are not going to take Benjamin down to Egypt. There's just no way that that's going to happen. The brothers may have been a little bit relieved by that, saying, well, I guess that's that. We don't have to go back to Egypt. Perhaps they hoped that the famine would just kind of run its course and and things would would turn around and there would be food once more, and and perhaps they were hoping that Simeon would be released. You remember he's in captivity or he's he's bound in uh, Egypt at the present time, but uh, uh, they, they do have to Uh, go back to Egypt, as we're going to say this morning. And certainly we can thank the Lord that He does not leave us in our sins, for the brothers still have these unconfessed sins as we've uh, seen in these past weeks. And had God not continued to work in the brothers, they would have been content to ignore their sin. And sadly, that is true of us so very often. Those sins that we hold on to, if the Lord does not continually uh, remind us of our need, then we are so we are perfectly content to ignore them. No, God will not let you and let me sit in our sin. We may wish that it just goes away, that we can just forget it, but God wants us to confess it and to turn from it. He's working to change us. Now, this can be a painful process, can be a confusing process. Say, I don't understand what's going on. Why is this so hard? Or why is this situation so, why am I struggling so much? And it's But often because God is trying to get our attention to show us that the way that we are going, the way that we're walking is not the right way or that there is something that we need to to deal with, to come to a point of recognition and then confession. Well, the brothers are back home. Nothing's said of Joseph after they get home. Simeon remains in Egypt and we pick up the reading then. We're going to be reading the entire 43rd chapter and then the first 17 verses of Chapter 44, book of Genesis. This is the word of God. Give your full attention to the reading of it. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, the man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. We had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. 
carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, It is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We did not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon. For they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out. And controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. And they served him by himself and then by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them for Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. Then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You've done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, 
Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. And we also will be my Lord's servants. He said, let it be as you say, he who is found with it shall be my servant and the rest of you shall be innocent. And each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground and each man opened his sack and he searched beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And a cup was found in Benjamin's sack and they tore their clothes and every man loaded his donkey and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, what shall we say, my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, far be it for me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this morning. Well, the famine continues. They're forced to face their sin in Egypt, as we saw last week. To do that once more. Jacob's distraught. He can't imagine uh, that they would say something like uh, to this man like they like they did that that they had a son or that they had a brother, a younger brother. And Jacob's scolding them, saying, "Why did you have to tell him that?" And they said, "How could we have anticipated that he would ask? Do you have another brother?" Do you see what God's doing in this? Do you have another brother? It's not just a question about Benjamin. It's a question to the brothers. Do they have another brother that they have sold? That they have turned over to slavery? They were suppressing the truth so much so that they lived as though Joseph was no more. Well, when God sees our sins that we try to cover and to hide up, or to hide, to cover up and to hide, he says, those are the sins that I want you to confess. Those are the sins I want you to bring to me. I don't want you to live as though they are not serious. Often we suppress our sin so successfully that we nearly erase it from our minds. (coughs) Well, what sins do you cover up that you just pretend they don't exist? Is there anger, theft, immorality, things that we just pretend are not that serious? Well, when left to fester, these sins create a murderous spirit a covetous heart, and unfaithful living. Judas speaks up to his father and says, I will bear the blame forever if Benjamin does not return safely. 
There's been a change in Judah. He's starting to change. Where, where, is, where have we seen Judah before? And what was Judah saying? Well, Ju- we've seen Judah back in uh, chapter 37 and since then. But what we've seen is that he was the one that said, let's sell Joseph into slavery. Let's, let's, let's offload this brother, this troublesome brother. And now here he is. And he says, if Benjamin does not return, I'll bear the blame forever. Change is happening there. He now sees crisis and he'll take a curse upon himself if he can't, or if he doesn't spare Benjamin. But he can't spare Benjamin with with his life, for he himself is guilty. He's deserving of death, too. Now, this is a very lengthy passage, and I didn't want to break up the narrative. We could have kept on reading, but, but I didn't want to break up the narrative. But there are things that we're not hearing about, in, even in, these, in this lengthy passage. What do you think is going on in Jacob's heart and his life at this point? He's praying fervently. He's praying for Benjamin to be returned. He's praying for Simeon to be released. He's praying for the famine to go away. He's wrestling with God. God has a deeper plan for Jacob and his family. When God is doing a deeper work in you, he doesn't always do it quickly. He doesn't always do it the, the, the moment uh, that uh, the crisis arises. He's working and he's, he's leading and he's not in a hurry as we saw in weeks past. He's developing uh, the hearts of his people that we might depend upon him. When a sin settles in, there's often ongoing consequence. It's convenient for us to confess his sovereignty and say, well, God, just fix this. You're sovereign. Fix it. Rather than addressing the issue, or rather addressing the issue is where we need to point in, in, in our own hearts to say this, this is where he wants to do the work. God wants us to break with sin. He wants you and I to see sin and confess it. In sovereignty, God ordains both deliverance and disturbance. He says that in His Word. He doesn't always remove difficulty. He often works through difficulty. Job was a man right before the Lord. And what did he say? He prayed this, Make me know my sin Then I will confess my sin and find forgiveness and peace with you, O Lord. Proverbs 28, verse 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Very clear direction from God. Daily confession. Even in covenant community. We say, well, I, I, I'm forgiven. I know that. The gospel tells us. It says I'm forgiven. But we are to daily confess our sins. Here, the sons of Jacob in the covenant family are not. They're, they're, they're not confessing sins. They're pretending that everything is fine. The famine was the situation. This crisis was the situation that would test the brothers and their father. Jacob had to confess his sin of tying his life up with his two sons, with Joseph and Benjamin. He's wrestling with God in prayer again. Did you notice the name change in this chapter? The writer says Jacob is called Israel. Do you remember he got that new name? He got that new name because he wrestled with God. 
And here he is again wrestling with God in prayer. He's wrestling with God in this situation saying, no, please don't take away Benjamin, my son. Fix the situation. Correct the situation. Let me keep Benjamin at home. But he realizes that he must trust God. He announces that his hope is in God and then declares that he is at peace with whatever the outcome. If I am bereaved of my children, then I am bereaved. He comes to that point. He sees that there is a, there is a pressure that's requiring greater faith. And isn't that the case? When greater pressure comes, it calls for that greater faith. It's just, it, and we say, Lord, help me. Help me believe. Help me to trust in you. To see where I'm not trusting in you. He turns over to God what he previously refused to let go of. Have you ever prayed that God would help you let go of something that seemed absolutely central to your life? Maybe it's your phone. Maybe it's the other life that you're leading on the internet, looking for attention in the wrong way, in the wrong places, the wrong kind of attention. But you just want that acceptance and you don't want it in the way that God would send it to you or give it to you. Maybe you're so caught up in your care of your body and appearance that you don't have time to disciple your kids. Too busy. Oh, you shuttle them here and there but there's no time to invest in them, praying with them, reading with them, discussing their relationship with the Lord. Oh, they'll get it. They'll just, it'll just kind of come along. It'll just, by osmosis, it's going to happen. No. It's training and instruction. Well, this is a huge step for Jacob. He's thinking that his life is wrapped up in his only son who has left, Benjamin. Before he sent the brothers, you remember, to Egypt, and he kept Benjamin back. He says, I can't imagine what would happen to me if anything happened to Benjamin. He says, he's not going. And they send the brothers, and the brothers come back and they say, nope, we get, when we go back, we've got to take Benjamin with us. This is a huge step. For him to say, I, I have to trust the Lord. And in his weak faith, he says, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. Take my son and go. Then we know Over and over again, we know that God will not fail in keeping his people. And over and over and over again, we need to see that and to again recognize that in the way that we live. God will take care of me. I simply must trust him. This means letting go of those things sometimes that we think we couldn't possibly live without. 
When we hold on to these things, these, these, they, they rise to the surface and crisis often will build because the Lord is wanting us to see that we can't trust in these things and these relationships. We can't, we can't put all of our life there. And, and so it's unresolved and we think, do you, at least if you're like me, you think, God, are you going to fix this? Just, just fix it. We, we, suddenly our, our view of God's sovereignty comes back in and we say, well, God, you could just fix this. And God says, I am. All along I am. Do you see it? Do you see where I'm working? And he has the right to leave our sin in front of us. He has a good purpose in it because he wants us to see it and go to war with it. He's redeemed us, made us his children in Christ, and he says, now, that old life is gone. Get rid of it. And we say, ah, but I want to hold on to it. I just want to hold on to it. He says, no. Confess it and flee from it. God doesn't keep sin before us so that we doubt his ability to deliver. He wants us to confess, to stop making allegiances with our sin and to believe that he can deliver us from all sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He wants us to look down deep and to look high up and hope to him for strength, for his glory, to live for his glory. Well, Jacob says to the brothers, as they prepare to leave, may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. To that we say amen. <laughs> may God grant mercy to us in time of need. We should pray for that. We need God's mercy. Oh Lord, open my eyes, to see my sin and your willingness to deliver and forgive. Well, the brothers go up and they head to Egypt and they, they appear before Joseph and they receive mercy. They're shown great mercy. There's a banquet and they are provided for. They receive food and provisions. They receive Simeon back and Feast is spread before them. And what is their response? Initially, they're afraid. Our sin has found us out. He's thinking that we're not only spies, but that we're thieves. <laughs> and, and, and that's not the issue, is it? God, God says there's something deeper here that I, that I want you to, to feel grief over. They're afraid. They say, surely he is setting up this feast so that he might make us his servants and seize our donkeys. But God in these trips to Egypt is reaching back further. They are afraid, but not for judgment of their sin against Joseph. They're Afraid that maybe the leader of Egypt doesn't recognize how honest they really are. But we're honest men. You remember what they said last week? But we're honest men. If you could only see that. 
So they come to Joseph's steward and they say to him, Oh my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We don't know who put our money in our sacks. We're going to make this right. We want you to know we are honest men. We want to make this right. We've even brought double the money. And the servant says, peace to you. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Joseph didn't need their sacrifices. It's kind of humorous, actually, when you think about it. It is Joseph's second in command to Egypt. And they said, oh, he's, he's going after our donkeys for sure. I mean, he needs those. He, can't, he couldn't possibly run the kingdom without a few more donkeys. He doesn't need their sacrifices. God certainly didn't need their sacrifices. He wanted their hearts. Now we can feel good about ourselves by giving up things that don't cost much, things that we're willing to part with, things that will make us look good. But God wants us to search our hearts to see what he's truly after, and that is love for him. Joseph's mercy illustrates the mercy of God. As we've noted, they receive Simeon back. They're given water to wash their feet, fodder for their donkeys. Joseph speaking kindly to them. A feast is spread. He's served the food. Benjamin gets five times as much. And you see what's going on here. Joseph is testing them. Will they be jealous? Will they be grumbling over the treatment that Benjamin receives? But they are not. Nor should we grumble and complain when others perhaps get more than we have. We receive from the hand of the Lord all that we need. We should be filled with gratitude. What a wonderful week for us to be able to be filled with gratitude, to have a holiday to celebrate that. For God has been so gracious. Instead of saying, oh, I got something, but he's got that boat, or she's got that relationship, or they've got that home. To be thankful. How often do I thank God for placing me in a Christian home with loving parents to receive a Christian education? How often do you? Joseph's brothers eat and drink and they get ready to go home without giving any thought to their blessings. They got their money back. They get their brother back. They been given food for, to stay alive. They have resources to buy the food. They have safe travels back and forth from Egypt and on and on. And we might expect a verse along these lines. And they thanked God for his many blessings and for the safety that he provided for them. And there's nothing. Well, then we come into chapter 44. And James Boyce writes this, to understand Genesis 44, we must put ourselves in the brothers' shoes as they started out from Egypt that final morning. They had gone to Egypt with gloomy apprehensions. They didn't know what to expect. Would Joseph believe their story even with Benjamin along? Would he release Simeon? In fact, he did. Because he did, the brothers felt pretty good about themselves as they prepared to leave. They might have been saying things like, it pays to keep your word. It pays to tell the truth. We tried to give our money back. We're honest men. 
But there was sin they did not acknowledge. I think he's right to point out their self-righteousness at this point. They're probably feeling, well, of course, everything's going to go well. We, we tried to try to be honest, tried to be upfront. But there's more going on in the background. Brothers are now going to receive a final test. Joseph puts his cup in Benjamin's sack to test whether they would again leave a brother or if they would think about this. And they're found out. So he puts the cup in their sack of Benjamin's, uh, um, Benjamin's donkey and they're, they're sent off and the steward runs after them. And the subject, as we've seen before, of evil and good comes up again. Verse 4, he says, Joseph says to his steward, when you reach them, ask them, why have you repaid evil for good? Do they realize their sin against Jacob or against Joseph? The steward catches up to him. He says, speaks these words, and they're appalled. They, they're, they're shocked. They're, they're, they're innocent. We're, we're honest men. Why does my Lord speak such things, such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Do they realize their sin at this moment? They say confidently, Oh no, whoever is found with that cup deserves to die and will be the servants. That's how confident they are. And they did deserve to die for their evil, but they did not acknowledge it. They protested in self-righteousness. Now, before God can use us, he has to purify us from that self-righteousness before he can truly use us, before we can truly be messengers of the gospel of grace, we need to be purified of all self-righteousness and say, well, of course things went right for me. I, look at, I'm a good person. I've done what I need to do. God humbles us before he can use us. Chuck Colson tells a story in his book, Loving God. He'd been special counsel to President of the United States, and he ended up in prison because of the crimes that he had committed while in office. They finally caught up to him, and he was put in prison. After he was released from prison, he was going back to prison to speak of how God had changed him, how God had worked in his life. And he was sitting in Delaware State Prison looking out at the inmates, and he was he was considering the, the, what, what is it that God was, was, was doing in his life. He said, he said, all of this success, I have these scholarships and these, these, uh, uh, this successful law practice and all of this, this wonderful uh, 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 momentum going for me. And God is using me mightily, at least so I thought. I'm, I'm working, uh, uh, speaking through governmental offices, making these big decisions. And he said, and I realized at that moment that it wasn't God's need of my success. But it was that God needed to humble me so that he might be able to use me. He says this, the real legacy of my life was my biggest failure. I was an ex-convict. My greatest humiliation, being sent to prison, was the beginning of God's greatest use in my life. That's pretty profound. Because everything in us naturally wants to say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to use my gifts, my talents for God, and, and he's going to see how indispensable I am and how he can't possibly uh, accomplish what he wants to accomplish without 
my skill and my doing. That's true. God puts us in our place to use us in that place with our talents, which he has given. But we must humble ourselves before the Lord and speak of his goodness, offering up thanks and praise to him. Not congratulating ourselves. God purifies us from self-confidence so that we can be true messengers of the gospel. Notice I didn't say from confidence. We can have confidence in Christ. And we do have confidence that all our sins are forgiven. But from self-confidence, which is apart from Christ, he says, "I I don't want you to be burdened with that. For it will take you in a wrong direction to worship the wrong things, to pursue the wrong ends. But I want you to have confidence that as you trust in me, I will work in and through you. Well, as the servant made search for the cup, the brothers were confident they were innocent. They thought they were clear of all of this, but the cup's not the real issue. God, again, is going deeper. When the cup is found in Benjamin's sack, they fell down and they tore their clothes in grief. They're, they're just beside themselves. But there is change happening. They will not send Benjamin back on his own. They load their donkeys to return <laughs> to return to the city. <clears throat> and they fall before Joseph and they say, What can we say to my Lord? How can we clear ourselves? God has found out our guilt. <coughs> what guilt? What guilt are they talking about? Our guilt? Were they all conspiring to take this cup? No. No, no, they're thinking back to the guilt that is now inescapably before them. God has found out our guilt the sin that we committed against our brother Joseph. This is the heart of the confession. They're guilty, and they had already begun to realize that when things were coming upon them back in chapter 42. They remember them talking to each other. They said, surely this is happening because we did not listen to our brother Joseph, and this this distress is coming upon us as a result. Now, they don't confess their sins to Joseph because they don't even know it's Joseph standing in front of them. But they do acknowledge that God has found out their guilt. The guilt that they had before him. We cannot hide our sin from God. Holding to integrity in some other area of our life doesn't remove our guilt in other areas. The seriousness of of that sin, that confessor and lead to unfaithfulness needs to be set before us. Joseph then says this, how heavy and how wonderful are these words, he says in verse 17. They're they're heavy words, but they're wonderful words. He says, far be it for me that I should do so. Do what? That I should make you all my servants. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. That's the wonderful gospel message. God has provided his son who has drank his, the cup of his wrath, as we read in the Old Testament prophets, 
taken God's wrath upon himself that we might be delivered. But what's required? More than outward obedience, more than sacrifice here and there, there's a call to confession and to faith in Jesus Christ. For in him alone can we have peace with our Father. Those words, but as for you, go up in peace to your Father. How do we go up in peace to our Father? The confession of our sins, the trusting of Christ alone for our salvation. And God promises then, I have become your Father. Know my peace. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your searching work to search our hearts that we might see if there's any way in us that needs to be removed. Lord, be gracious to us. Cleanse our hearts from all sin. Lead us to walk with you each day and to have that confidence that comes only from being united to Christ. May our focus, our joy, our worship be set upon him to your, to your praise as you work in us by your spirit. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.